0: Welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harts, and today we are coming to you on a Tuesday. We got no football games this week. It's terribly disappointing. We got a fantastic Super Bowl on the way in a couple of weeks, but plenty of time to talk about that. So I want to quickly take a step back for this podcast, go through 12 key takeaways from the last three weeks of playoff action. We'll be going through a lot of teams that have been eliminated with a you know, look ahead eye towards the 2021 season, mostly fantasy football related as always, but as we maintain on this podcast, can't be good at fantasy football if you don't know the real thing as well. So have our usual contributor back on the podcast. That is none other than PFF's own Andrew Erickson. Andrew, happy man. I really don't have a week to say this one, but happy we made it through every game except one.
1: Yeah, it's week 21. <laughs> there We go. made it to the pre-Super Bowl week. And we have so much content coming up on the site. We're doing draft content now. We've got the Senior Bowl going on loads of stuff coming it's going to be a fun lead up to the super bowl and a fun off season for sure
0: Yeah, if you're looking for some content, people, please check out PFF.com and be sure to use promo code SUPERBOWL25. You'll get 25% off any subscription. And we do have the latest 2021 NFL Draft, guys, finally out, 150 player profiles. And again, subscribe to Edge or Elite to get that promo code SUPERBOWL25 for 25% off any subscription you want from PFF. So great stuff there. Andrew, kick things off. Again, we're going through our 12 playoff takeaways. We're just going to rotate these. And Andrew, I think you got something about the guy who's once again hanging on your door over the shoulder. Mr. Tom Brady.
1: Yeah, man. It's all about Tom Brady and how he went from being a washed-up quarterback with the New England Patriots to back to the Super Bowl, to Super Bowl 55. I wrote a piece up, came out earlier today, so go make sure you check it out on pff.com, basically about how Tom Brady went from being a washed-up quarterback to Super Bowl 55. Basically, to kind of summarize it, is the deep ball game. You know, Tom Brady, was basically unleashed his ability as a deep ball passer in this year of 2020 with Bruce Arians. And the thing is with Bruce Arians, what's always been a problem with his no risk it, or no risk it, no biscuit offense, or however you say it, is the quarterbacks he's had in those offenses, whether it was Jameis Winston or Carson Palmer, Andrew Luck. I think we've thrown this stat out here on the podcast before, but in each of their seasons, their first season under Bruce Arians, they had 40 turnover worthy plays. Tom Brady has 17 this season. He has the lowest turnover play rate percentage of all quarterbacks despite the fact that he's throwing deep at the highest rate of any other quarterback his deep ball rate is actually i believe second and is tied with uh drew lock so he's basically you know de-gaffing like drew lock except just minus all the interceptions and all the fumbles and sacks and all the bad plays basically if drew lock was always good all the time that's what we're seeing from tom brady so again if you're the drew lock hopefuls Ian I know you're one of them (laughs) hey he's just gotta you know get to the age 43 when he's nice and ripe follow the TB12 method maybe this is the way that Drew Locke can finally get saved and be a you know a fantasy savant for us in future years but yeah that's really a, a one to summarize about Tom Brady just the fact that he's been able to unlock this deep passing game with the Buccaneers. And the fact that he couldn't do it with the New England Patriots, basically the Patriots offense was set up where he couldn't possibly do that. He could not succeed with the receivers that they had. And even when his terms of time to throw, I thought it was really interesting. His time to throw was actually the same, basically, as it was in New England. And you think, oh, well, if he's throwing deep more, it's going to take him longer to throw. But that hasn't really been the case. He's a quick decision maker. And that's the difference between him and those guys like Luck and Palmer and Winston is just that that mentality that he can read the defense and he can get the job done. So basically you have Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, Running your most efficient KFC, it's all biscuits, baby.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and we've seen it on both sides. I mean, not only has Brady obviously been having a fantastic season with the Buccaneers, but also Cam Newton. I mean, hey, I'm not comparing to as a passer, but it's not like Cam was just constantly overthrowing wide open receivers. Plenty of trouble with all those guys getting separation. So you can see why Brady had pretty much the worst season of his career in 2019, and now he has rebounded in a big way. And honestly, you know, I've I've referenced the completion rate. You know, I think it's under 55% in the playoffs so far. Just keep in mind, Buccaneers players have dropped a postseason high 12 passes so far. No other QB has had to deal with more than eight drops. And yeah, to your point, he's making all this happen down the field. Nine big time throws on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. No other QB has more than five such passes. And I would say kind of the one, uh, you know, in that second half of the uh, Packers game, we saw him have some issue with the pressure. Just realize everybody, like every quarterback has issues with the pressure. So even though Brady this year is just six for 21 when he is under pressure, he still has the second highest PFF grade in those situations. So it's pretty much like Patrick Mahomes. Massive gap, Tom Brady and everyone else. Because guess what? Not everybody can be uh, Patrick Mahomes when it comes to under pressure. So good stuff there. And yeah, I remember Tony Romo uh, even talking about during a broadcast broadcast issue where Brady and Arians' offense—they're looking deep first. I mean, Arians—you know—said that in his biography, he wants every single play to be a touchdown if possible. Love that mindset, but that obviously has led to some of those turnover-worthy quarterbacks that you mentioned before. So it's amazing that Brady has had this smooth transition. And again, at 43 years young, uh, expecting. More of the same potentially in twenty twenty one. I mean, next regular season. I know we haven't talked about this a ton, but I, there's no issue with the arm strength, man. We might even see a better version of this offense next season.
1: He's definitely coming back. I have no doubt in my mind. I think it's been thrown out. I've listened to a couple podcasts and read a couple of things about. You know, he could retire potentially even they win the Super Bowl, but I think there's like a one percent chance maybe that happens because for the for the sole reason. The Buccaneers are playing the New England Patriots next season at Gillette Stadium. (laughs) Going to do whatever I can to try to get to that game. If there are fans need to be there, need to see Tom and see this game. It'd be absolutely insane. And one last thing I want to mention about Brady. So he has 55 big time throws this season. He had 56 big time throws in his last two seasons with the Patriots.
0: Ooh, madness. Yeah, and I I would say that every time I talk to Brady about retiring, he pretty much has been consistent saying he wants to play until he's 45. Certainly, again, don't think he's seen any sort of you know reduction in his arm strength or ability to warrant an early retirement. All right, so my number two playoff takeaway is that me, Cole Hardman can fucking fly everybody. And yes, I know we we already kind of knew that, but I mean we have finally seen them really get this guy like more involved in the base offense. Really cool, uh, mic'd up scene where okay, he muffs the punt early, he goes to the bench, he throws a coat over his head, which was really hilarious. But uh, I think it was uh, Kelsey, Travis Kelsey first uh, told him, you know, stay in this. We need you. And then Mahomes came over, literally ripped the coat off of him. It was like, keep your head up. You're going to come back make a play. And, like, I think it was the very next drive, reed dials up, uh, you know, reverse form. Dude takes it 50 yards, reached a top speed of 21.52 miles per hour per next-gen stats. That is the single fastest speed reached by a ball carrier this entire postseason. And the fact that Chiefs have two of these guys, because, I mean, Mecole did race Tyreek Hill back in August, and they put the video on YouTube and Tyreek won because Tyreek's the fastest freaking player uh, alive seemingly. But (laughs) the fact they do have both these guys just can create so many problems for defenses. And even if we're not going to see, you know, a full serving of Miko Harbin in the Super Bowl because Sammy Watkins is expecting to return, Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson are unrestricted free agents going in to next year. So tentatively, we can lock Miko Harbin into three wide receiver sets in 2021. And look, all the targets are going to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I get it. But if you had to pick one guy, really not... Maybe in the league, honestly, to make the most out of, you know, 60, 70 targets. that Miko Harbin deserves to be in that conversation i mean look over the past two seasons including playoffs 122 players have at least 100 targets justin jefferson is number one nearest for target my guy aj brown's number two miko hartman is number three again we just don't have many situations if any where miko has been getting fed touches and hasn't done uh, much with them andrew i know we got to follow, follow the volume in fantasy football but man if, again if anyone's going to bust that and there are exceptions to that rule Miko hartman certainly looks like he you know matches the uh, profile
1: as long as Nicole Harmon just doesn't run 16 routes when you see, you know, CEH running 19, Demarcus Robinson running 29, Byron Pringle running 31 routes last week. That was definitely tilting to see because we saw Nicole Harmon the week before. His routes have gone up. I've tried to find a pattern with Nicole Harmon, but There's the way There's that none. they use him, it just doesn't exist. They're, it's so random of, of games that they decide to get him involved. But you hit the nail on the head. Whenever this guy touches the ball... A touchdown waiting to happen.
0: And just I mean, again, it's unfair that the Chiefs have this much talent and their scheme is so good. I remember they picked up just like <laughs> fourth down against the Browns. They had Tyreek in the backfield, Mikole sprinting across the formation pre-snaps like this is too much speed for any defense to worry with. And yeah, still looking forward to what they can get going in 2021 because inexplicably Eric enemy apparently is going to be back, you know, calling up all that goodness again so yeah 2021 Chiefs offense somehow might even be more dangerous. I mean it's amazing to think about like if they hadn't of okay Sam Watkins has some great playoff moments. I don't want to take that away, but if they had actually gotten the version of Sammy Watkins that they paid for whew, somehow be even more explosive chiefs offense, but maybe just maybe that could be on plate in 2021. Andrew, talk to me about AJ Dillon and the green Bay Packers.
1: AJ Dillon. So AJ Dillon actually ranked number one in the NFL in missed tackle percentage, 31% right above Nick Chubb at 30%. Again, not saying A.J. Dillon's better than Nick Chubb. Just pointing out, just cherry picking a nice stat for y'all because it just tells you exactly what we thought A.J. Dillon was going to be. This guy came to the NFL, huge quads, huge legs, and is just out to destroy defenses. He is a bruising running back. Got the Derrick Henry light comparison coming out of Boston College. And that's exactly what he's delivered. He's been a guy that's been able to create yards after contact, He's been able to break tackles in that game against the Tennessee Titans. He broke nine tackles in one game. He that he's one of seven players this season. Derrick Henry did it twice, but one of seven players this season to have a game with nine broken tackles. And that's going to be the show. It's going to probably be his backfield to own to lose in 2021. Aaron Jones, we saw it. He got hurt during the NFC championship game. He didn't come back into the game with a chest injury. And we're going to have to assume that he's probably not going to be back there next year. And as much as I love Aaron Jones at 26 years old, one of the most efficient running backs, basically averages five and a half yards a carry every season, which that's really good. Look, I get why yards per carry is not a great projected stat. But when a guy keeps running for five yards a carry every single season, okay, he's probably doing something right, which is the exact case with Aaron Jones. But it just doesn't make sense with what the Packers, with the way they're setting things up for them to pay a running back like Aaron Jones. They spent draft capital on A.J. Dillon. And Jamal Williams is also a free agent. So it's really kind of setting up the stage for A.J. Dillon to take on a bigger role. And I don't know if the market is necessarily going to be on him because of the fact that, you know, he's not, you know, a pass catching running back, which I agree with. He only caught three passes this season, but the Packers throw it to the running backs quite often. They threw it to the running back position at the sixth highest rate in the NFL. And if he catches you know, 20, 25 passes, that's more than enough. If he's getting all the early down workload, like if he's getting 250 carries, then he's going to be a great fantasy asset in 2021. Yeah.
0: And I don't think he's necessarily like just complete, you know, bricks for hands. Like you can't throw the guy a couple of screens. He caught all three of his targets. And I mean, at Boston College, again, it was, wasn't like he was just dropping everything. He just didn't really get many opportunities. So I don't think anyone's expecting him to turn into, you know, Austin Eckler, Naeem Hines, you know, able to just, you know, undress linebackers and safeties out wide or anything like that. But just getting the ball in this guy's hands in the open field has been problematic for defenses to slow down. I just don't know if we can trust anybody in this Green Bay coaching staff to actually feature the running back. Because to your point, Aaron Jones has been one of the- the league's best running backs over the past few years, and he couldn't get away from Jamal Williams. We need both Aaron and Jamal Williams to get out of here because I wouldn't be shocked if Jamal comes back on a pretty team-friendly deal. And look, Jamal's, Jamal's good. I love the way like he plays. Like this dude, you know, type of guy that, you know, he never goes out of bounds without instigating some contact himself. You know, his helmet flies off and he's jumping up all hype. So I love watching Jamal play. Just realize, like, he might end up being the better value if we go into next year with A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams intact because we have seen them consistently lean on Jamal Williams and we only have to go back to 2018 to find an example of Matt LaFleur playing Deion freaking Lewis over Derrick County for three months so Andrew I'm with you Dylan looks the part but man like why did this guy not get more touches all season
1: I don't know I mean why did the why did the Packers kick a field goal why didn't they go for it with <laughs> the NFL's best Reds historically best red zone offense questions that we will never know we can always ask, but never know. And one thing I'll mention too, as well as Jamal Williams, I was actually looking at just total touches from this 2009 2017 NFL draft class. Aaron Jones was in that class, Jamal Williams in that class. Jamal Williams has more touches in his NFL career than Austin Eckler. So he's a guy that's seen almost, you know, 150 touches per season, which seems really odd to come from a running back that's been a backup, but I think that there could actually be a legitimate market for Jamal Williams services from other teams. He's not going to command a high price tag, but every time he's touched the ball, he's been really reliable. And I think that he's actually really improved. You know, we used to scoff every time they would use Jamal Williams in the past because of how Aaron Jones, how good he was. But even this season, you know, Jamal Williams, when he was the featured back, you know, we played him in DFS. He was, he was pretty good and he looked a lot better. So I think the Packers, if they try to lowball him, and again, you know, that may or may not happen. We've kind of seen how they've kind of run their team the last couple seasons. They could potentially lose out on Jamal Williams and be forced to, okay, now we're going to go with A.J. Dillon and Dexter Williams or Tyler Irving. Or they're going to, have to sign Jarek McKinnon and and then he'll never play because his legs are are too tired. Yeah.
0: And hey, I I get it from, you know, an actual NFL team perspective. Like there's no reason to give a running back 400 touches in one season, but that's what we want in fancy land. unfortunately, Green Bay, especially AJ
1: Dillon is built different. Like he can definitely handle that type of workload. And look, you know, they talked about him being like Derrick Henry. And if they want to do this run, run, run approach again, it's the easiest way to get Aaron Rodgers out of there. Like, there you go. He
0: was, I know you all saw the replay like him. He literally carried a paid professional NFL <laughs> defender on his back for like six yards. I mean, that doesn't happen by uh, by mistake. Give the freaking ball to AJ Dillon in 2021, please, Green Bay. All right, next takeaway, credit to Baker Mayfield and this Browns offense. I think they could be really special going to next year. I uh, took my first uh, steps uh, today, actually, just going through all the free agents, kind of the cap space uh, ahead of 2021 and looking at, you know, where different team needs might be. The Browns don't have an offensive need. They are bringing back. Basically, everybody. Rashard Higgins is an unrestricted free agent, but I don't know. They're getting someone back named Odell freaking Beckham. I think they'll be okay (laughs) in their three wide receiver sets. The tight end position sets. We're talking about PFF's number one offensive line in run and pass block grade. That has never happened in a single season. The Browns pulled it off last year, and they're, again, bringing back everybody from this crew. So, Baker Mayfield last year, PFF's number seven QB in passing grade among 44 qualified signal callers. I understand this is a run-first offense. It's kind of like, again, it's pretty much Minnesota's offense in the AFC and it's the fancy coming from that system he's implemented it and guess what it works when you have playmakers all over the field like the Browns do so I'm just excited to see what they could look like because we haven't seen their ceiling because their ceiling is OBJ being the talent that he is in this offense and I know a lot of people have just pointed to the second half of the season saying oh Baker and the Browns are better without OBJ it's just it's different everyone look in 22 games with Beckham Baker was targeting his first read on 58 percent of his dropbacks that jumped up to 63 percent without Baker, when he just knows where to go with the ball, he doesn't try to, you know, circle out to his right or line his athleticism like we saw him do a lot in 2019. Look, the guy can make any throw on the field. We remember that Hail Mary where he threw the ball out of the end zone. I think it was like the longest pass. PFF has ever tracked and only Aaron Rodgers posted a better PFF passing grade than Mayfield when targeting his first read after Beckham was sidelined. So again, the ideal situation is to have someone like OBJ that can demand double coverage and then Baker has, you know, better options to go to around the field, not not having, you know, OBJ and trying to rely on lesser talents. So, you know, just be careful before we just assume that they're better off without one of the true difference making wide receivers. You know, PFF Sam had a good article go up last week about, you know, every team's potential, you know, breakout player in 2021 he listed obj and he even clarified like it's weird to say someone that's already had as good of a career as beckham uh, you know could be in line for a breakout year but i just think Baker's finally clicking. I mean, the first thing Baker said after this year ended was, you know, he, how happy he was that he gets to enter back into the same offense again for pretty much the first time in his career. And guess what? Everyone is back. So, hey, I, I know we fell for this in 2019, man, and a lot of people got burned on it, but do not count out this Browns offense in 2021. And if they can add a little bit more on defense to complement Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, we're looking at a legit contender, Andrew.
1: Baker Mayfield was one of the takeaways that I was considering using as one of my six, just looking at how he finished the year from week 12 on his PFF grade 91.5 was right behind Rogers and Brady. And I was going back and forth with the Odell Beckham take. And I'm glad that you brought it up here because look, we get that he was better, better quote unquote, without Odell Beckham Jr. But Sometimes you gotta use your brains. Look, yeah. if they had had Odell Beckham Jr., they would have had a better chance of beating the Chiefs, okay? That, that's a fact because they would have had more offensive firepower. They maybe would have had a chance. And I don't think Beckham is going to fumble the ball out of the end zone like Richard Higgins is. I'm sorry. Like Beckham would have been in there. He would have been doing backflips and doing the thriller dance. He would have been all about scoring touchdowns for the Cleveland Browns. So I like Odell Beckham Jr. a lot. And I think that, you know, you just look at his past two seasons. He's just been the total outlier. Okay. So you look at how he was traded, and historically speaking, traded receivers don't always play that well in their new teams. Obviously, this season, that didn't really kind of come to fruition. We saw DeAndre Hopkins have a really solid season. And Beckham was, of course, the guy, the poster boy of, okay, we got to fade the traded wide receivers because of what happened to Beckham. Well, maybe Beckham's case was just, it just didn't work out. It was really more of a fluke than anything else. And then, This season in 2020 where he gets hurt and then Baker Mayfield just suddenly catches on fire. So for him to come back fully healthy and for Baker Mayfield to just suck again and and go back to his 2019 days just seems really unlikely that we're going to see almost like three outlier performances from Odell Beckham, especially because of how talented we know of a receiver he is.
0: And look, he had four touchdowns in pretty much six games for him this year. He only had four touchdowns in 16 games in 2019. So we were already starting to see them click a little bit more. And, you know, I don't want to hate on Hollywood Higgins. He's fine. I know Browns fans love him. And I know that fumble was, you know, certainly due to that helmet-to-helmet hit uh, as well. But, yeah, look, we've seen more enough evidence that OBJ is truly one of the few special wide receivers in the NFL. Get him back in that offense and run the offense as it's meant to be run. We're going to see even better things from the Cleveland Browns in 2021. A uh, quick shout-out to our sponsors over on Monkey Knife Fight, so all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least twenty bucks into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a forty-dollar value for just twenty bucks, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that twenty dollars into even more money playing daily fantasy and proc games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA. At Monkey Knife Fight, so go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your twenty dollars with promo code PFF today to receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. Andrew, talk to me about a guy that you've written at length about already, Cam Akers, and what he's got on the way in 2021.
1: The PF, PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is a pro Cam Akers <laughs> uh, listening for everybody's pleasure. The thing with Cam Akers, I just love the fact that how he finished the season so strong, led all running backs in the, in the last two playoff games that he played in offensive yards, rushing yards, touches 49 yards after contact, and PFF rushing grade at 84.8. And I just don't understand why we're not hyping him up more. Maybe I am Maybe I need to be quiet so I can make sure I get this guy on my fantasy teams or just everyone that follows the PFF podcast. We will be get drafting Cam Akers. But I think that he has a legitimate argument to be a player you want to draft as early as the second round. Again, the workload is going to be there for him. They drafted him really high with one of their picks when they had tons of other needs at other positions. They opted to draft a running back in the second round, their first pick in the 2020 NFL draft. The Rams took Cam Akers, and right off the start, he played, he saw 15 touches in his first game. You know, a 35% snap share. Okay, he was still playing behind Malcolm Brown, who had 21 touches and 57% snap share. But it was clear that, okay, this rookie is going to, you know, be involved in this offense. You don't just get 15 touches out of the gate, especially with no preseason games Whatsoever. So it looked like he was on the projector or the trajectory to potentially be their lead back. But then, okay, he gets this rib injury, severe rib cartilage separation, which basically shut him down from weeks two to 12. He missed four games over that stretch, didn't see a snap share above 27%. But even when he played, you know, at times in those games, he showed a lot of burst. So for me, I think that it's uh, a home run to draft Cam Akers. Just looking at the workload, he touched the ball at least 18 times in his last six games and had 21 plus carries in four of those games. There were only four other running backs that had 20 plus, 21 plus carries in any games last season. Derek Henry, Dalvin Cook, Josh Jacobs, and James Robinson, or at least had four games with 21 or more touches. And that was more than guys like Zeke, David Montgomery, Jonathan Taylor. So for me, with potential for Cam Akers to go after Ezekiel Elliott and after Jonathan Taylor, I think that it's a it's just a smash smash play.
0: Three years, 2017 and 2019, Sean McVay coached uh, 52 games with the Rams. His number one RB has snap rate above 60 percent in 48 of those games. So we have like half a season where Akers was hurt. Henderson was, you know, coming in, didn't play much as a rookie. Malcolm Brown was kind of the most solid guy. We pretty much have half a season of McVeigh using a committee backfield. And then three and a half seasons of him featuring his number one back, whether that was Todd Gurley, or that was C.J. Anderson, whether it was now Cam Akers, who finished the year with 62%, 81%, 60%, 66%, 72%, and 96% snap rates. That is as elite as you're going to find at the running back position in terms of usage. I'm right there with you, Andrew. And, you know, like they might just be honestly like just getting on the first page of what they can do with acres, seeing all that wildcat stuff in the last game. I mean, this dude like was actually throwing the ball at Florida state. He has that in his like capability. We know he can catch the ball. He was always the most solid three down back. And I know people are saying, you know, Daryl Henderson was injured at the end of the year. He wasn't injured until the final three games. Like we already saw acres take over this backfield again with three straight games, over 60% snaps and over 18 touches to your point where Henderson was healthy, wasn't able to get the job done. So even if you You know, Henderson works in a little bit, man. I still think we're looking at someone that at a minimum is going to be touching the ball 15 plus times per game in an offense that isn't as great as we would like it to be. But maybe, you know, Jared Goff goes away and it does get better. Either way, Sean McVay, again, we have a much longer history of him enabling a true top five, like literally a top five fantasy RB, much longer history of that than any sort of committee situation. I'm with you, Andrew. If he's there in the early second round, like that's an auto pick.
1: Agreed. And one thing I want to point out too about Cam Akers and bringing up some regression talk right here, and I get it, that they were the most most touchdowns scored last year. So regression is going to hit every single player more often than not, (laughs) but I think that it's going to be positive for Cam Akers. So looking at carries inside the five-yard line, Jared Goff had five, Malcolm Brown had seven, Henderson had nine. They all scored four rushing touchdowns from inside the five. Cam Akers had eight carries inside the five-yard line, scored one time, One time out of eight attempts, he is not that bad of a running back. Jared Goff will not score four touchdowns. That's the regression coming for Goff, Brown, and Henderson. It's all going to Cam Akers. So again, like you mentioned, Wildcat baby, here we go playoffs
0: you want to talk about playoffs yes that's right football's playoffs start this weekend and there's no better place to get on all of that action than with DraftKings Sportsbook PFF and DraftKings have teamed up this weekend only for a bet called the PFF quarterback special new users can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if any QB scores are rushing or receiving touchdown that's code PFF for new players to get $100 if any quarterback scores are rushing or receiving touchdowns for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no issues with him running between the tackles. He scored on a Wildcat against the Packers, where he carried the linebacker in from like the four-yard line. He puts a Darius Smith in the dirt with a single stiff arm. Yeah, Cam Akers, 2021 RB1 season. I am here for it. All right, next takeaway. So, the Saints... Look, we've now seen this year after year after year. Their offense sputters when they can't throw the ball down the field. Teams recognize that they load the box, and the offense falls apart. Over the past two seasons, only the Saints and 49ers have been offenses to throw uh, fewer than eight percent of their passes at least 20 yards downfield. And because of this, we got all this slant boy slander being thrown at Michael Thomas. Who, you know, what you go you goose egg in the playoffs on national TV. You're gonna get shit on on social media. That's the way things work. I understand that. You know, I'm not trying to overly defend michael thomas here on that performance but let's face it this dude was not healthy for a single game pretty much this entire season and look who's throwing the ball drew Brees, who has a definition of a noodle arm over the past few years Taysom hill who has a stronger arm but still feels the need to crow hop like three times anytime he wants to take a shot downfield and even then it's anyone's guess where the ball is actually going to go like michael thomas It's not that he can't win downfield. It's that they never try to use him downfield. Since he entered the league, he has caught 33 of 36 catchable targets thrown at least 20 yards downfield. That's 92%. Fourth highest mark among 64 qualified wide receivers. Like, yeah. Since 2018, he is the best, highest graded PFF wide receiver on slants. Like, why is that a bad thing? No one looks at Steph Curry in basketball and is like, yeah, he can shoot threes, but like, why don't you shoot more like mid range jumpers? Like, saying that someone is so dominant, something that's all they need to do to freaking break the NFL receiving record for most receptions in a season, it just seems backwards to me. It's such an odd, uh you know, just critique. And I get it if we're talking about, you know, who's the number one wide receiver in the NFL. No, Michael Thomas is not, you know, in that conversation. I wouldn't put him in the top five. Five, but easily top 10 top 12 and I think we could get another quarterback Mr. Jameis Winston perhaps that's more willing to force be his number one wide receiver in deeper areas of the field and we could almost see a better overall version of Michael Thomas so no I don't think he's going to break you know his own reception record or anything like that but if you can actually get someone willing to let him you know be a more complete receiver hopefully some of the slander is going to die down but you know what Carlton Davis great job keep barking at him it's very entertaining again I, I get it but let's just keep in mind that you know why wide receivers routes. I think I've been a little bit more due to the quarterbacks than, uh, you know, anything with Michael Thomas. Are you buying a potential 2021 bounce back? If we get Jameis there, Andrew?
1: Yes, please. That Jameis Winston, get him in there with Michael Thomas. Jameis Winston supported Chris Godwin to a wide receiver one season. Mike Evans to a wide receiver one season. I'm just hoping the Saints just give us some clear indication of what they're doing at quarterback and they don't leave us in the darkness as we head into week one. it's like, yeah, well, I guess Taysom Hill's a starter or Jason Winston's a starter. At least we'll know based on, you know, salary because they have to sign Jameis Winston to a contract. So I guess we'll know whether or not, well, if they sign him to a big contract, and you know, more money than Taysom Hill, then we can assume that, OK, he's probably going to be the starting quarterback. And. If not, if it's some cheap deal, which I don't know what the market's going to be like for Winston. I don't know if people are going to gawk over that, you know, that one touchdown throw he had in the playoff game and just go, you know, balls to the walls as a as a Patriots fan myself. Look, man, I would take James Winston right now over a lot of quarterbacks because he can at least throw the football. And I'm willing to take that just because Cam Newton was tough to watch this year. So, yeah, as long as James Winston's there, I think that Michael Thomas is in good shape.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look, I feel like the one thing fantasy Twitter can always get behind is our collective hatred for Taysom Hill. Like having a <laughs> bona fide tight end pretty much playing quarterback, Michael Thomas still averaged seven and a half receptions and 86 yards per game. We actually were seeing him work more downfield and that was all the while playing on a bum ankle. So, you know, you look at just the season he had, I get it, you know, certainly let a lot of people down. I drafted him as the overall wide receiver one in fantasy, but just realize a lot of issues with injuries and also a lot of issues under center. Drew Brees had a great career, but let's face it, wasn't exactly the league. Uh, most willing or best deep ball passer over the past few seasons. Andrew, I think you got something to go off your chest about some of these Buffalo Bills running backs. Hit me.
1: I'm going to open with a question here for you, Ian. It's a little bit of a trivia. So, the Bills running backs, which Bills running backs scored the most fantasy points in a game for Buffalo, and how many points did they score? And we'll assume PPR, and I'll give you like a two to three point range.
0: Is it a trick question? TJ Yeldon at like 16?
1: no you you Uh, had the right approach it is kind of a trick question it is antonio williams (laughs) and it's 21.3 fantasy points in week 17 that was the highest scoring performance by bills running back this season and you got to fade the noise right now sean mcdermott's already coming out and saying we got to run the ball more and you know this nonsense but (laughs) you can't you can't trust any of these bills running backs right now we really need to see it for me to push the button on anyone i mean if they're going like 10th 11th 12th round like both running backs okay then i'll take a shot on zach moss or devin singletary but right now the way that they use devin singletary in the playoffs just the fact that they wanted to throw the ball and they were a good offense this year why would it make sense for them to just oh well you know we were really disappointing on offense like let's run the football more i don't think that was the reason why they you know lost their games i think it was because john brown disappeared you know he didn't step up against a stronger chiefs defense they need another receiver i think To help kind of be the Robin to Stefan Diggs, Batman, Cole Beasley was obviously playing hurt as well. So I I, I don't think that running the ball or using these running backs in any way, shape or form would make a difference. And you could argue that if they had had Zach Moss instead of Devin Singletary, then that may have been enough to make a difference um, of those two backs in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, shout out Cole Beasley pulling at Greg Jennings, playing with a broken leg. Cannot measure that dude's toughness. Absolutely incredible. But yeah, man, and Josh Allen just takes away like all the fantasy-friendly opportunities that we would want from a running back. Josh Allen doesn't have time to check down and do those annoying things. The Bills-RBs were 28th in targets during a regular season. They were 24th in carries inside a 10-yard line. Oh, Ian, why'd you pick 10-yard line instead of 5? Well, they were 18 inside the 5-yard line. So <laughs> look, Josh Allen, again, he doesn't check down. And when they get inside a 10-yard line, like he's the most likely guy to score. He's legit been a top 10 player in rushing touchdowns since he entered the league as wild as that is for a quarterback. But I'm with you. Zero RB targets potentially. But the problem is I don't see any reason why one of Zach Moss or Devin Singletary is really going to pull away. I mean, it was one of the most split backfields throughout the entire year. Maybe Moss is a little bit better, but I don't even know, man. I don't know if they consider that. And again, if it's going to be a split backfield, again, the usage is already just not fantasy friendly as it is. And maybe if we only had one, we can get behind it. But as it stands, and maybe if they even add more of the group, yeah, stay the hell away.
1: Fade the Bills running backs.
0: Fade the Bills running backs. All right. I want to talk a little little defense here on a fancy football podcast. How about that (laughs) in the year 2021? Getting wild. (laughs) Look out for this Washington football team in 2021 if they can get a QB because my goodness, they have just built one of the best positional groups, I think, in the entire league on that defensive line. They're going to probably lose Ryan Kerrigan, but you know what? He wasn't even one of their top four defensive linemen in snap rates, and they don't need him at this point. They've gotten more than enough from Kerrigan throughout his great career, but we look at at this just again treasure chest of former first round picks on defensive line chase young 21 years old he, he was pfs number six highest graded edge defender this year uh montez sweat 26 years old number 10 edge defender you go to the interior jonathan allen's 24 years old he was our number 11 interior defender the worst one is deron Payne, who's still only 23 years old he was the number 33 interior defender again among you know almost 100 qualified players so all these guys were at worst very good to borderline freaking great and because of that it's is very hard to you know even single out someone like chase younger montez sweat where if they're on any other defensive line pretty much in the league they'd be facing double teams all game so it's honestly reminded me a lot of san francisco in 2019 and kind of that nucleus they were able to use with nick bosa and company and just dominate opposing uh you know offensive lines i know pff has come out and said that you know coverage does matter more than pass rush if you had to you know just pick one but that doesn't mean that you don't want, don't want a ridiculously elite pass rush as well that makes it easier for everyone the cornerbacks can sit you know knowing that the uh, quarterbacks you have to get the ball out you know in probably under two and a half seconds so again they have that kind of same just defensive style that we saw the 49ers ride all the way to the super bowl the question is can they actually get the offense to match it because they already ran Kyle Shanahan out of town you know five six years ago so that's not going to work and you know it's better not be out Alex smith man they just don't have the sort of ceiling with them there so there's a lot of available quarterbacks i think adam schefter uh, came out uh, yesterday and was pretty much saying like there's only eight or nine you know truly locked down spots in the entire league if there's one team that i think should really consider you know breaking the bank trying to send whoever they can to go get a high-end quarterback it's the washington football team because you also look at this division and it's again theirs for the taking so we have a ridiculous streak i think it goes back like to the early 2000s of there being a different nfc east uh, winner every single year but man if if we can just get even an average offense in Washington, look out. And I'm going to be looking very hard at their Super Bowl futures next year. Because, hey, you know, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, you had a you know free agent wide receiver. There are enough pieces to talk yourself into this. I'm not crazy. Right, Andrew?
1: You think there'll be a Cam Newton reunion with Ron oh, Rivera? I, I kind of hope not. I
0: love Cam, <laughs> but I don't think that's going to do it. Man. So you? which
1: what? Uh, no, I, I don't know who's going to sign cam at all. You you just can't because of the way that he can't throw the ball. But if you had to pick a quarterback to go to Washington, who would you what would the ideal landing spot? Or would it be, you know, one of these uh, rookies?
0: Probably one of the rookies. I'm trying to zoom through now. Yeah, I don't want a Cam Newton. I don't want an Andy Dalton. I mean, hey, let's go get the Sean Watson. Maybe how about that? Put the Watson on any of these teams and that work out. And yeah, it's a good question, but man, or Stafford. Stafford's Stafford there we go yeah let's get Matt Stafford in Washington why not if we get Matt, Matt Stafford in Washington and they don't really add another high-end wide receiver too we're gonna be talking about Terry McLaurin as like a legit top six top eight fantasy wide receiver next year he's that good defense is sick I like
1: that Stafford calling you well when Stafford comes out and goes to Washington, Calvin Johnson will come out of retirement, play opposite <laughs> of Terry McLaurin and Washington football team, WFT, let's go.
0: Calvin Johnson still just 35 <laughs> years young. Heard it here first on the <laughs> PFF Fantasy Football podcast. Andrew, talk to me about the artist known as Playoff Lenny.
1: Leonard Fournette, dude, I can't believe what I'm saying and, and what he's just basically transpired on the field the last couple of weeks where he's been just the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers best running back. Again, The efficiency has been up and down, but really it's been his reliability. He's been used in the passing game. He's been playing a lot of snaps. Last week saw 69% snap share. He outtouched Ronald Jones 17 to 10. Five catches, seven targets, 25 routes run. And actually last week was his most efficient day on the ground. Put the dude through uh, Adrian Amos, put him through the spin cycle on that touchdown run. And I mean, he's... Again, he's not going to be, you know, some all-inspiring back that we're going to be go all hyped on for next year. But he's at least established himself as, hey, this guy can potentially be their starter. They have to bring him back. They have to sign him to a contract. I know we've talked about this before. So if they give him a legitimate deal, even if it's a one-year deal, you know, one million or ten million dollars or whatever, or not, it's going to be for a one-year contract for a running back. We can probably safely say, okay, it's probably going to be Fournette. It's probably going to be the starter. Ronald Jones will work in on early downs, but. That pass game usage is so clutch to have in a Tom Brady offense because Tom Brady goes to running backs no matter what. It's not at the same rate that he went to, you know, a James White or a Rex Burkhead in his days in New England just because, wow, I have like other receivers I can actually throw to. So I'm going to elect to throw it to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I mean, he was throwing to James White because that was his best receiver. Fun fact obviously, going back and tying in Tom Brady, James White was the only receiver or receiving option that had a 90 plus. PFF grade from of one of targets from Tom Brady in the last two seasons. And now he has two with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So Tom Brady definitely got the upgrade with the offensive weapons. But as long as the Fournette continues to see this usage, I can't see why we wouldn't want to potentially draft him next year. And his draft stock's not going to be high because, number one, the, you know, the name cachet on Leonard Fournette is that he sucks. He's old. He's fat and slow. And Ronald Jones is still going to be there. So it's going to be one of the situations where We're not really sure who it's going to be. We're going to hear reports throughout the offseason. We're going to get Ronald Jones hype and you're going to be able to get both of them potentially really late in drafts. So I think they're both going to be values because look, at the end of the day, they're running backs on an offense that throws to the running back position and scores a lot of points.
0: Yeah, I'm sure Bruce Arians at some point in the offseason could tell us that both Ronald Jones and Fournette are going to be getting 20 touches per game or something ridiculous. But yeah, at a minimum, we need to stop the slander on Leonard Fournette, and we've all been guilty of it. Me, Andrew, all you listeners out there, I'm sure we've said something mean about Fournette's ability over the past 12 months. That run was absolutely ridiculous. Next-gen stats gave it a touchdown probability of 0.4%, and that honestly seems a little high when you watch it and just the amount of tackles he broke and was able to do it. And it wasn't like one run has made this whole off, made this whole playoff run 313 total yards in a trio of scores over the past three weeks. You know, again, I'm I'm not saying Fournette's a top 10 running back, but at a minimum, get him out of these, you know, fat Lenny conversations. All the slander we've been throwing his way, the dude has earned at least an offseason off from that. So I'm not sure if he's going to get paid paid. Maybe he won't even be back with the Buccaneers. You know, I think we could talk a little bit about what that kind of split backfield is going to be like. We just need to hope they don't add a true pass catcher to his unit because while Fournette is catching him, we did see those drops last week, and I think we do know at this point he's not quite the most consistent player. But yeah, if we can get like some sort of guarantee or even just, you know, reduced uh, ADP because of the kind of lack of clarity there, if Leonard Fournette has this role he's had over the past three weeks in 2021 regular season, that's a legit RB1.
1: Agreed. And that's the thing. I don't think we are ever going to get any good clarity about it because of the, you know, the aforementioned Bruce Arians effect on this offense. But if he's going in eighth, ninth round, he's a running back who could potentially be the starter. And even Ronald Jones, if he's going a couple couple rounds later think that both are probably going to be values and yet and because of the offense they're playing in they're going to score touchdowns like that's all you need if you, from a running back you get in the 11th 10th round or wherever you get them late
0: basically everything that made ronald jones a really good zero rb target this year is going to apply to leonard fournette next year crazy <laughs> how that works all just right, copy, next. And,
1: just copy and paste it there, there we go there we go
0: next uh takeaway So, this Steelers offense, I mean, please try something new in 2021. It sounds like Big Ben leaning towards coming back. You know, I don't think the Steelers are necessarily going to kick him to the curb, but this was a rough season for Big Ben. Among 44 qualified QBs with 100 plus dropbacks, including playoffs, he ranked 23rd in PFF passing grade, 36 in yards per attempt, 25th in adjusted completion rate, and just 24th in QB rating. Look, league high, 41 drop passes. I get it. It didn't help matters, but this offense couldn't even reach 20 points in four of their final six games. It wasn't like the whole season they were incapable we had claypool showing out deontay johnson doing his thing from week to week it just became like the most predictable and one-dimensional offense that we even saw in the league dead last in play action rate pff's 31st ranked offensive line run blocking grade nobody averaged fewer yards per carry like hey, we're a team, you know, you don't need to run the ball. I get that. But you got to at least be able to run the ball when defenses aren't respecting the run. Pittsburgh couldn't even do that. So James Collins is a free agent. Maybe they decide to add some more juice to that backfield. I certainly hope so they got to do something, man. and They got to address you know the backup quarterback room with a little bit more than Dwayne Haskins, I think. So, you know, hey, I'm happy that Haskins got another chance. I think he's been, you know, a little bit uh, I think he's been vilified a little bit more than he probably deserved over the past few months. That story for another day. Either way, I mean, this Pittsburgh passing game, you have talent. You got Deontay, you got Claypool. I know Deontay's got those drops, but we have some legit weapons on the outside. We just need a quarterback that can do an even better job of getting them the ball. So, the defense is there. I think if they can, you know, get improvement out of i think they could get an improvement out of ben just from changing up the scheme a little bit and they did go ahead and promote i believe their qb coach, offensive coordinator so you know i would just say that ben you know i know that he doesn't like to play action because apparently you know he doesn't like not having his eyes downfield but Look, man, it didn't work this year. Be more willing to try something more going to next year. We saw that with Aaron Rodgers, man. His first year at Mount LaFleur, you know, hey, he's a veteran. He's had so much success. I don't blame these quarterbacks for thinking that they know more than, you know, their coaches at this point. They've had all all that success on their own. But when it doesn't go your way, I do think you need to potentially consider buying into something new. And, hey, if I knew the solution to fixing this Pittsburgh offense, I'm sure I would have, you know, a a much uh, different job right now. But whatever it is, they need to do something different in 2020. 21.
1: If somebody would just show Big Ben, just sit him down, show him Ryan Tanhill's show Ryan Tanhill's numbers with play action, without play action, just show him the numbers and be like, "Dude, trust me, like this is going to make you better. It doesn't matter that we can't run the football, it doesn't matter that you can't see, it's all about the defense just being affected by the play action fake. That's what it's all about, and Big Ben just needs to be more accepting of that because it's going to make the offense operate better and You need to have some semblance of a run game. So I think that they should draft a running back. Najee Harris, potential third round pick or wherever. I mean, he's a really good running back from Alabama. So I think that would be a potential option for them there. Again, I can't imagine them bringing back James Conner; He just hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy and really handle that workload outside that one season in 2018 when he was absolutely spectacular filling in for Le'Veon Bell. So for me, again, I love Deontay Johnson next year. Going to be all over him. Don't care about the drops. Chase Claypool has a lot of upside. I don't know where I think we're kind of getting a little bit of a Tyler or Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf thing going along with Deontay and Chase Claypool. I think I still am on firmly on the Deontay side just because I think the target volume is just solely on his side over Chase Claypool. But again, I definitely understand the upside from, you know, Chase Claypool's just athletic profile.
0: Yeah. It's not like Ben's arm shot. Like I don't think like physically he's incapable of doing it. We just need to see a different overall offensive approach. And I'm with you on Deontay over Claypool. I'm very interested to see where those ADPs uh pan out though I, I could see it being something like uh, you know, the Carolina Panthers uh really like kind of last year where it was like DJ Moore or Curtis Samuel and they just had that really large disparity. Obviously I ended up being DJ. I think Deontay deserves to be the higher one. But if you see Claypool in that you know wide receiver 30 range, I'm gonna be buying that all day long. Do not be the person that says, Oh, if you Take away his four-touchdown game. He didn't do that well. No. How many other players scored four <laughs> touchdowns this year? He's a great player. That's why he scored four touchdowns. Quit taking away players' great plays and trying to make a stat up otherwise. Now that I got that off my chest, Andrew, talk to him about Marquise Brown, the Baltimore Ravens passing attack.
1: Hollywood Brown, not Hollywood Higgins. We already talked about him. <laughs> Marquise Brown is really interesting when we kind of look at his whole season because during the first half of the season, weeks one through 11, it was really not good. Eight point seven fantasy points per game. Wide wide receiver sixty eight. You know eleven point seven expected fantasy points per game. Wide receiver forty one. So he was performing under expectation. And if you think back to the season weeks one through eleven, that's really when Lamar Jackson was struggling for most of the season. But as things kind of turned around, Lamar Jackson kind of turned it on and that's when we saw the improvement from Marquise Brown. He went to wide receiver 18 averaging 15.5 fantasy points per game, 12.2 expected fantasy points per game. So I bring up the expected fantasy points per game because that's really more indicative of future projection because it's basically based on, you know, where they see the targets, how much volume they're seeing, things like that. And it didn't really change that much. Again, you're always going to see players, you know, that are underperforming kind of even out over the second half of the season, and that's kind of what we saw from Marquise Brown, but I guess I'm just trying to like be true to the audience here and talking about Marquise Brown as a player that I don't know really if he has a, you know, super, super high ceiling as a, you know, relatively smaller outside wide receiver. He doesn't see a lot of man coverage really more because of the fact that teams just can't run a lot of man coverage against Lamar Jackson. I tried to look and see like, is it just, he's struggling against press. He just can't get off the line, but they don't. Ever face man coverage? It's always zone because of Lamar Jackson, and honestly, in zone coverage, this is when we see the tight ends absolutely feast over the middle field. So why we see Mark Andrews with such a large target share in the offense when they face zone coverage. And the other thing as well, his target share got a huge bump in the second half of the season—32% share where it was only 21% weeks one through eleven. And even with Mark Andrews, he did miss a couple of games. It was still at 29% in the games that Mark Andrews did play in the second half of the season. He had he saw some more accurate balls. His, you know, the accurate ball rate went from 66% to 75%. And he obviously scored more touchdowns. He had two touchdowns in the first half, six touchdowns in the second half. So finished overall the season wide receiver 35. And I kind of think that's where he's at as a, like a wide receiver three. And again, I know he's attached to a great quarterback like Lamar Jackson. And I, I don't expect Lamar Jackson to struggle nearly as much as he did last year, but just laying out the numbers here. I don't know if this is going to match up with where his ADP is based on the fact that he was strong down the end of the stretch. And I think that I'm probably going to be a little bit more underweight on Marquise Brown, especially if they bring in another wide receiver, which has been kind of rumored that they need to add another weapon. And interesting enough, I was looking at potential, you know, receivers that were good against zone coverage. And a guy that actually popped out to me that I thought was interesting was Corey Davis actually was had a really solid PFF grade against zone coverage. I think Allen Robinson would obviously, or Kenny Galladay would be like the obvious choices But if Baltimore is trying to get a more complimentary receiver, Corey Davis could end up being in Baltimore, and I think that'd be kind of an interesting fit.
0: Yeah, one of my notes for this uh, question was just in all caps, give me Allen Robinson, please. Uh, I, like, I do like the Corey Davis call. You know, I I hope they don't go like Marvin Jones or because they love these veterans. And I'm, I'm not even taking away from Marvin Jones, but I would just like to see a true alpha number one wide receiver there. I agree. Kenny Galladay would fit that mold as well. want to read a quick quote from uh, Ravens GM, Eric uh, DeCosta. This was kind of making its way around uh, the social media on Monday, I believe. But he said, it's not all about getting the number one receiver that everybody likes to talk about. Out. We would certainly look at that. We would try to upgrade every single position on the football team this it's offseason if we can, based on the parameters of what we have to work with draft pick-wise, money-wise, and all the other challenges associated with building a football team. So some people have been like, oh, my gosh, Baltimore, what are you doing? It sounds a little bit like offseason, you know, GM speak. I, I think, uh, you know, they're not exactly going to show their hand and say, hey, we're, well, you know, going balls to the wall. want to spend as much money as possible on number one wide receiver. But let's go get that, man. The Browns got Baker Mayfield, Odo Beckham. The Bills got Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. The Cardinals got Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. like there's not an offense in the league with a worse overall wide receiver group than the Baltimore Ravens right now and despite that Lamar Jackson has still been an above average quarterback since entering the league and pretty much any passing metric yes he benefits a ton from his rushing ability and defenses can't play more complex coverages against him because of that but guess what that's not going anywhere so yeah man I think you know to get the Ravens over the hump and hey they won a playoff game this year like they were more successful in terms of just overall uh you know playoff success than they were in 2019 so they're making improvements but let's not confuse that you know one playoff win with the idea that this offense is done as it is not giving up on marquise brown honestly if you add like Allen robinson or kenny galladay like i don't know if marquise brown would like change all that much i think if anything the booms uh could just be a little more frequent but i'm with you it's going to be hard to get him really inside the top you know he'll he'll be a low-end boomer bust wide receiver three yeah
1: The Ravens are interesting because you think you have Lamar Jackson. So as a receiver, are you thinking, yeah, that's a spot I want to go to or no, I don't want to go to a spot with Lamar Jackson because I want to catch 100 balls. You know, I have contract incentives. I want to catch more passes. So there's almost kind of a give and take to a receiver because – You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the Des Bryant heyday, he actually, you know, was supposed to go to Baltimore and was like, nah, man, I'm not going to Baltimore. I'm not playing with Lamar Jackson. And then of course he ends up, you know, getting hurt and then ends up playing for Baltimore anyway. So he should have just accepted the contract at the first start. So I think that's interesting. Are guys like Allen Robinson, does he want to play for Baltimore? Like, how is it? And and I guess that kind of puts them in a tough spot where they have to draft the receiver because, you know, those players obviously don't have a choice. You know, they go to the team that they're drafted to, or you have to pay, you know, for a player like Corey Davis, where they don't have their top of the list because they're not the heavily sought after wide receiver. So it's, it's definitely a tough kind of circumstance to try to figure out.
0: There, there, there might have been a little of that interest uh, in the pre-Achilles Des, but hey man, the only thing I'll say just show me the money and then we'll get that wide receiver there man, so we'll see, I, I hear you, I mean I understand it's not the most uh, enticing situation for a wide receiver to go doing a lot of production, but you know what, I don't think a lot of people would have said that about Buffalo last year and obviously yep. Stephon Diggs, if you are that special of a talent which I do think Allen Robinson deserves to be in that conversation, you can usually overcome bad QB play, it's not like Robinson hasn't already done that and I think, you know, if we want to talk even purely throwing. I mean, Lamar, you know, isn't that far removed from Trubisky, Blake Bortles, any of those guys. All right. Last point here. I want to talk can we please get DK Metcalf double-digit targets per game next season? I mean, my goodness, people. I think we just misinterpret, you know, guys getting locked down. We look at the final box score, and yeah, you know, Metcalf, he's finished with fewer than 50 receiving yards in 11 of his 35 career games. Only one time in those games, though, that he have more than six targets. Again, it's not like that, you know, in these Jalen Ramsey and these Patrick Peterson matchups, that just one target after another, you know, he's just getting bodied and the ball's getting knocked down. Russell Wilson just hasn't been looking his way. In some of these tougher matchups and hey when you got Tyler Lockett out there doing his thing it makes sense but all of a sudden like halfway through the year Tyler Lockett wasn't doing his thing and this entire passing game really was only going through DK Metcalf when they were having success and we saw that in the wild card round I mean in that wild card loss Metcalf caught 511 targets for 96 yards pair of scores the rest of the passing game had 78 scoreless yards combined this guy is truly one of the more special talents we have seen coming to the league in recent years and the fact that this dude can't get 10 targets per game is absolutely perplexing to me. So Metcalf, A.J. Brown, like when we have these wide receivers that we know are this good, throw them the damn ball. I don't want to hear that you want to run the ball more, Seattle. And, you know, for those saying that, oh, you got to run to set up the pass, a whole lot of evidence, you know, speaks the contrary on that. And I think, again, when you have someone like Metcalf, you want, to, you want to set up the run, why not, you know, throw your first three passes of the game deep downfield to Metcalf to help lighten up that box that way. So again, it's going to be frustrating because, you know, I'm already looking at, you know, the wide receiver ranks and Metcalf is kind of getting more along that wide receiver one borderline. When if we could just lock this dude into the 140, 150 targets that a player of his talent deserves, we'd be looking at a legit top five option. So, Andrew, I don't know if they're going to give Metcalf the volume, but man, if there's one guy in this league that I think deserves 150 targets, no matter what, might be DK Metcalf.
1: I mean, if we got to sacrifice Tyler Lockett, if we just have to, you know, banish him to fantasy wasteland. I'm willing to do it to get to get DK the ball more. Look, man, if they want to run the football more. Let's get some, you know, move Mechav around the formation, move him around a little bit, you know, run him on. I mean, the guy has blazing speed. It's not like he can only get open downfield. He can run a drag route, you know, get him a, a bubble screen or have him take a handoff, you know, running across the formation. You see Nicole Harman do that. You see Tyreek Hill do that. You see these alpha wide receivers, you know, take handoffs. You know, why can't the Seahawks do that? You're to run the ball more efficiently. Okay. What if I can get, you know, DK Metcalf, a, a charging DK Metcalf against a defensive back? I do not want to be that defensive back. A pulling guard, you know, blocking for DK Metcalf downfield. That is not, I'm going to make a business decision if that's going to be me trying to make that tackle. So You know, again, we we talked about Michael Thomas, Mr. Slant Boy. All right, maybe he teams up with DK Metcalf. Let's get Metcalf some more slants. You know, don't have to run a go route on, you know, 80 or 90% of his routes. You know, have him run a little bit underneath. You know, just get him the ball a little bit more. Get the ball in his hands because he can play make plays after the catch, yards after the catch. He doesn't always have to win downfield because, you know, we saw that interview with him. He's like, yeah, we run, run, and then go deep. You know, maybe we need to just develop the passing game a little bit more. And we can still also, you know, appease Pete and also run the football.
0: Six foot three, two 229 pounds, 4'3", 340, man. Like, yeah, I understand he's not, you know, ever going to be confused as one of the league's best route runners, but when you have that much speed and big play ability, like, cornerbacks will be bailing on him sooner than a lot of guys as well. So, almost, you know, his route running actually is better because of that, you know, deep threat that he always brings to the table. So, hey, even if you want to say that, hey, Jalen Ramsey is capable of locking up Metcalf, fine. The other 14 games of the year, please, for the love of God, feed DK Metcalf the ball. I know Russell Wilson won. Once- to do that but Seattle Pete Carroll please you got the most special wide receiver that Russell Wilson has ever had the privilege of throwing the ball to please don't make us sit through these seasons where he's not getting the sort of volume that he deserves that's gonna do it everybody thank you as always for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast thank you Andrew for the time you can all follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore Andrew what do you got on tap here for pff.com this week
1: so I had the big write-up on Tom Brady make sure you go check that out figure out all the reasons why he's not washed and why he is the absolute goat. And he's actually really been the goat probably since like 2010, but we're just going to rehash it. We need to have more content. Got a long week ahead of us. So more goat talk about Tom Brady. And I'm also starting to work on the rookies incoming class. Got the senior bowl coming up. Obviously the PFF draft guide is out. So I'm starting to rank. Those players for dynasty purposes, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, kind of because, you know, rookie tight ends, blah, but (laughs) yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm having fun diving into the weeds of some of these, these prospects here, and it's going to be an exciting offseason.
0: Good stuff. Make sure you all check that out. I also have an article up on pff.com with 20 playoff takeaways, many of which we have already hit on. But if you still want to get your you know itch in for that, check that out as well. And stay tuned. We're going to have our usual podcast schedule for the Super Bowl week. Andrew's going to be back on Wednesday, go over a bunch of props, and I'll get the usual 10 questions pod in that Friday after the Super Bowl. Though we're going to be having 32 pods in 32 days here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. One beat writer, ideally. If I can't get a beat writer from every team, I'll get you know a fantasy guy that loves their team, but. I'm going to go through every single team in a good 20, 25-minute episode, hopefully with the beat writer going through team needs, bold predictions, try to get everyone as prepared for the offseason as possible. we got a lot of time until free agency in the draft. I think, uh, you know, resetting after the 2020 season and looking ahead to 2021 with all the contract situations with the free agency will be a great way to get us prepared. So make sure you all stay tuned for that. Make sure you check out Andrew's work on PFF.com. And thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. And until next time, take care, everybody we okay.